Hello again, everybody. I'm Michael Conniff, the host of The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. I'm here and very happy to be here with Alex Porter. She's the CEO of Mod Tech Labs, a very interesting content and uh, content tool, I guess we could say, a content creation tool. Welcome, Alex. It's great to have you. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share a little bit more about what we're doing. Yeah, and I just want to mention to people, this is not a solicitation to buy. It's not a recommendation of any kind. Um, so keep that in mind. But but I don't have people on the show that I don't think are interesting. So keep that in mind, too. Um, also, we are now on just about every podcast platform, Apple, Amazon, Audible, uh, to begin with Google, around about 15 of them. So make sure that you subscribe. And uh, Alex, I think I first saw you at a unicorn pitch. I was really taken with what you did. Um, you didn't win the pitch, but I, I think I contacted you and said, you know, I, I thought maybe you were in the wrong wrong pitch contest because if it were a content or a media pitch, I think you might have you might have won it. I mean, I thought I think what you're doing is really interesting. So help our listeners understand what you're doing if you can explain it in a nutshell, and then we'll get into detail. What does Mod Tech Labs do? Absolutely. Well, we like to say that we make 3D easy. We are an automated platform that allows anyone to take images using a cell phone or any camera and upload it to our processing portal um, and output 3D digital content. And so we're using the data from those photos and videos and scans to actually create real true 3D data. Okay, and, and so um, just so I understand this, and I have seen some of your, your demos, but essentially you, I could take any object, I could take this, this bottle, I could use your technology to scan it into a 3D object, and to do that, I, I assume it would take a lot of pictures kind of all the way around, and then produce an object. Okay, Correct. so um, that sounds very interesting, and I also know that you have plans to turn 2D into 3D. Is that right? We do. Absolutely. We are always adding features and functions that will benefit users and make imagery data um, and 3D much more accessible. And I know you were cooking up a um, kind of a direct to NFT capability. Is that still in the works? Absolutely. 3D to NFT, I think, is really the next sort of logical step in the NFT world. Right now, a lot of those you know, pieces are digital art. They're natively digital. Mm -hmm. Where we see the opportunity is creating 3D from the real world. Mm -hmm. So think about collectibles, physical paintings, physical sculpture, mm -hmm. and actually bringing that into the NFT world and allowing other artists of different mediums to actually get into this mm -hmm. as well as collectors mm -hmm. and, and a wide variety of other folks. No, it sounds really interesting. So tell us a little bit, uh, first, I want to always get the money part up front. Um, I know that you had a crowdfunding round uh, where you raised $750,000. Where did you do that? Actually, our first round was a venture round. Um, so oh, it was. Okay. Yep. $770,000 in venture funding um, through Sputnik ATX and Quonsite Ventures. They're both based here in Austin, Texas, where we are. Um, and we went through the accelerator at Sputnik. They have they have a short one, and then they also uh, did follow on funding, um, and they've been wonderful. We have an open uh, WeFunder right now crowdfunding campaign um, that is available for anyone to join for and how, invest. How much have you have you um, have you raised on on? It's WeFunded, right? 
wefunder.com. Yep. Uh, we are, yeah. we are almost at $50,000. Um, and we have, um, a larger goal than that, but we got to get to the 51st. So we're very close to that. We're at 42. And then, um, um, you were also looking for a, a, um, a, a seed round, an additional seed round of a million dollars. Do I have that right? The WeFunder is the million dollar seed round. Okay. This juncture. So we're looking at this and in some cases people look at crowdfunding as that early round, like the first round, maybe a friends and family. We looked at crowdfunding as an opportunity to create um, investors and customers, also known as investimers. Ooh, <laughs> fun new word, fun new word. Um, is that yours? So, is, did you come up with that all by yourself? I didn't make it up. No, I, I absorbed it. Um, I heard it and I was like, I don't, yes. I, I was like, that's at least, you know, compelling <laughs> investors. Um, and so, I mean, realistically, you know, crowdfunding is a cool opportunity to run a marketing campaign and a funding campaign sort of in one. And because we have an app that's available um, this week on the app stores, um, again, um, with its shiny, new, beautiful polish, um, UI, UX, and, and all that fun stuff, um, we are, you know, it's really accessible. So anyone could go download it, try it out, really get into, you know, sort of the basics of what we do and understand it. And then they can tell their friends about it and their friends can try it. And so I think there's an opportunity for this sort of, you know, viral, you know, community-based uh, you know, fundraising and, and customer creation. And the app is the app called Mod Tech Labs. Is that how one would find it on the app store? Close. It's the Mod 3D Scanner. Mod, M-O-D 3D Scanner. And that's on both Android and iOS? It will be live by the end of this week on iOS, hopefully. It's in store submission at the moment, and it is live uh, now on Android. Oh, great. Well, that's exciting. Good, good for you. Now, I, I just I don't want to go past the crowdfunding because I, I haven't heard of others doing it kind of as a second round or a later round, but why not? I mean, it's kind of an interesting idea. Um, what led you to do it that way and not sort of the more traditional uh, go to investors, go to VCs, et cetera? What, what led you to do that? Well, I'm not discounting the opportunity and we do have an investor um, on the on the WeFunder campaign already that is a VC. Um, what I see the opportunity for is actually combining different funding sources. Um, when the SEC changed the rules around crowdfunding um, last year, they actually opened it up so that you could test the waters is sort of an initial thing that you can do. You can, you can actually run marketing um, about your campaign before you actually file with the SEC and all that stuff. Um, we're, we already filed with the SEC. This is, this is an official price round for mm -hmm. us. But it gave us the opportunity to sort of like see if there was a reception out there in the public, you know, before we did the time, energy and effort of running a campaign. So the other thing is they actually raised the amount that you can you can fundraise on these platforms to five million dollars, which I think obviously is significant. We're not raising five million. Um, we're raising a million. But I think that that allows this to be a much more interesting funding mechanism for, you know, pre-seed and seed stage companies, because mm -hmm. that's still in that sort of sweet spot as far as funding. Um, and then lastly for us, you know, it mm -hmm. really was around, you know, creating that community. Um, we do have a product led growth strategy with our app. Um, we are a B2B company. We're actually not selling directly to consumers, although we have, you know, this mobile portal, um, as we like to call it, we are really angling toward, you know, 3D platforms. So 
Epic, mm -hmm. Unity, um, Snap, the folks that are really creating this, this consumer opportunity to engage with metaverse and games and immersive. We're working with them on a top-down approach and working with folks on a bottoms-up approach to get it into the companies and get people, you know, to have access to tools. And how do how do the um, investors who use crowd crowdfunding how do they end up voting their shares or do they? How does that come into play? So it is a typically a you know you set the terms for your round on the crowdfunding platform. Um, what you can do as an institutional investor is you can have your own line on the cap table. So um, typically these crowdfunding platforms are a roll-up vehicle, so everything goes under WeFunder, right? You won't have 150 million separate investors on your cap table. Right, Nobody that could that. get complicated. Yeah. It's messy. Yeah. So roll up vehicles, definitely the way to go when you're, you know, crowdsourcing um, any kind of funding. And so ultimately um, you can split out institutional investors and let, and they can have their own line on the cap table, which is great because you want to be able to, you know, nod to named, you know, venture funds, recognizable, you know, folks in that world. Uh, and they want to be able to name you as well, right? It's a reciprocal, you know, opportunity. Uh, and then secondarily, they can maintain pro rata rights. Um, and then the third piece is that any investor, and this is to WeFunder specifically, um, any investor that's over $25,000, you don't actually have to pay the platform fee. So there is a fee associated with every platform, mm -hmm. of course, because you're, you know, that's their, that's their model. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, you know, if you are creating relationships and opportunities with investors, they can come in on the reg C without having to file a regulation D, which is the more traditional mechanism. Did you look at um, uh, platforms like net capital or, I, I mean, they're not, I guess they are crowdfunding. Um, they're a little more formal. They're a little more corporate. It feels less like, you know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream than, uh, you know, Safeway or something. But but in effect, um, it's the same idea, right? Under different under under a different guise. Absolutely. They uh, we did look at Republic. Um, we did look at uh, Seed Invest. Ultimately, we went with WeFunder for a couple of reasons. Like we had people in our network already that had used them successfully. Um, they were able to connect us directly with someone to, you know, start building that relationship with and understanding how to most effectively use the mm -hmm. platform. Their resources have been fantastic. The the team that they have, you know, um, supporting the companies on the platform has been very receptive, very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, you know, it was the right fit for us because we we are in that entertain entertainment media side of things. Yeah. And so the more, although we are B two B, right the more corporate angle isn't necessarily the right fit for us. And so I think I implore anyone that is looking at crowdfunding to definitely do research on the platforms and find mm -hmm. out which ones have sort of the most successful campaigns with businesses that are like yours. And, and um, I want to underline what you said, which I think is so smart. It's uh, you're combining your fundraising with uh, the building of a community with marketing. Um, when I taught social media back at the Isaac Isaacson school in Aspen, I basically would tell people it was storytelling and social media, but I said, it's just about community, it's just about building a community. And I would take that one step further. Maybe a lesson I learned from sports was it's really about the creation of fans, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, we hear a lot about brands. We don't hear all that much about fans, but do you have your fans that have come in through this, this window of uh, WeFunder? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, we definitely have had folks that uh, we've talked to from, you know, the venture world, from the business world, and even from, you know, our personal lives um, that have wanted to invest in this. Uh, that just on another brief aside on the WeFunder campaign, the cool other thing about crowdfunding is that anyone can invest, right? It's actually, it doesn't have that, you know, accredited investor status. You don't have to have, you know, a specific uh, amount of income in order to do it. You don't have to be a venture firm. And so it really does open it up. And I think, I think one of the really interesting things about a lot of things in the world, <laughs> um, including crowdfunding and NFTs, is it actually creates this opportunity for generational wealth that really wasn't accessible before. Once you can fractionalize investing, right, you can invest on WeFunder as low as $100. That is very attainable for a lot of people. Um, and that is where you can start really seeing the tides turn um, for folks that are able to build this wealth, you know, a little bit at a time. And I look at that in the same way for NFTs. NFTs are creating this ongoing royalty scheme that allow artists to maintain, you know, rights over their work that is really unprecedented. They continue to get money every time that changes hands. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, written to the blockchain. So you can see when it changes hands, you can see what the value is for, mm -hmm. and it's an automated process. And really, I want to really just, just uh, point out that, that uh, I think most people know this, but typically, historically, I mean, we're talking centuries, right? An artist would sell a painting or a work of art, they would get paid whatever they got paid, and that was the end of it. So I don't know what Jackson Pollock got for his, you know, his first drip painting, but it couldn't have been that much, um, <laughs> though he was pretty well established by then. Um, so this allows an artist to profit every single time it's sold, if yes. that's included in the smart contract in the blockchain. Yes. It yes. can specify 10%. And, and as an example, um, People, the artist who made $69 million in an auction with Sotheby's, um, he he has done this with a number of his paintings, and he he is getting paid, like, I think, as much as 10% every time it sells. So it's a real thing. It's happening today, and I think it's it's you're absolutely right to, to point it out. Now, I don't want to... Um, uh, I want to move on to to your product and your company, but I think this part is actually pretty interesting and speaks to our audience. And you know, we try to bring together entrepreneurs, startups, and founders with with money, with VCs, with angels, with crowdfunding sources, with platforms, with family offices, with investment firms. So I think you've chosen a path that probably is underutilized, and it sounds like you might very well recommend it to similar startups like media companies, entertainment companies, um, NFT companies, perhaps video game companies. Would you recommend it? You know, I think it depends on what your resources are. And I've actually had conversations mm -hmm. with several other, uh, you know, folks that are in our portfolio, in, in the same portfolio we are with Sputnik and other things. And, and I even had someone reach out to me this morning from Capital Factory, which is here based in Austin. Um, we we're part of their portfolio as well. And he said, Hey, we're really interested in learning more about crowdfunding. Can you tell us about, you know, how effective your campaign was or, you know, tips and tricks, et cetera. And I was like, I will tell you everything that I know. And I don't know everything, but I know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot over the course of, of doing this. And I think, I think it really is, uh, you know, a matter of weighing the, the benefits 
and understanding if it's the right path for your business. Um, in some cases, you know, I think it it would be recommended. In other cases, maybe not. But it really yeah. it really depends on your stage and 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 business model. So a little bit at a time. Maybe not, maybe one day I'll I'll do a course on on how to evaluate that. <laughs> not not for everyone. And I want to remind people, I'm Michael Conniff. This is the Accelerator. We are here with Alex Porter, the CEO and founder of Mod Tech Labs, with a really interesting uh, tool. Uh, they're going to launch an app um, live this week. Uh, the and I'm going to get the name right. It is the Mod 3D Scanner. So I would urge you to to download that. Um, I want to make one final point about the crowdsourcing. I've been on uh, Net Capital. I've made some investments on these platforms, and. Um, and I've actually told this to the CEO of Net Capital. So I, I don't know. I've probably made three or four investments, not huge, but you know, money. And um, I have not heard from a single company. I have not gotten an email. I have not gotten a communication. Nothing. So I think what you're talking about when you say generational wealth, it's also the concept of ownership, right? Instead of just like you know, passively, I'm putting my money in a bank account or you know, even a money market fund. It's like, you know, this notion that I own a piece that's just like you own the, the NFT, depending on the contract. So I would urge crowdfunders and platforms just like make sure their companies follow up and treat, you know, treat you like a customer, because if you lose that, you're kind of losing the whole point of being in business, I think. Speech I over. Agree. Speech over. I agree. No, we actually, uh, what we do is we add our investors to our investor update emails, um, which go out right now, they're going out, um, roughly every other month effectively. Okay. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to increase that just a little bit as we're doing this last push in our, in mm -hmm. our crowdfunding. Um, and then ultimately that will probably end up being quarterly after that. All right. Well, good for you. Um, uh, very interesting technique. And I want to hear when you get to a million, uh, 50,000, how many, how many contributors got you to $50,000 on WeFunder? 38 contributors. So it's, it's a wide variety. We, we did have a VC come in at uh 30K. Um, and then from there, it's kind of built in small, much smaller increments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, sure. But ultimately, you know, I mean, I think it's really awesome to see sort of the, who, who shows up. <laughs> it's really fun and really interesting to learn yeah. about like, who is this person and why did they invest in me? I'm really curious, you know, and, and I will say that, through through the updates, I've, uh, WeFunder has the ability to update on the platform and show you know new PR or new things that you want to share with people, um, and you can do that publicly or or just to your investors in the campaign. And it's created this opportunity for you know people to be like, this is amazing, that's really cool. And so we have a couple of people that are regularly you know messaging and saying, this is awesome, I'm so excited to know this. That's a really interesting feature or a really great new partnership. And so it really is creating that, you know, conversation um, and getting people involved in the business. Um, and well, we that's what we're looking for. And will will um, uh, do you expect that kind of reaction when you launch the app? Absolutely. Um, we launched the app um, the first time in beta uh, last year, and so we ran beta um, to really understand. Originally, our goal with the app was to allow business users to try our product and portal, which is the underlying core of our product is a processing platform that's automated, right? That's not very interesting or fun. Um, it's kind of, you know, I mean, it's functional, really functional, but you know, you need some window into it. 
And so getting people to actually requisition the imagery data, right? It comes with NDAs and contracts and legal hurdles. And it became a big barrier to getting people just on the platform at all. So ultimately, we decided to create this mobile scanning tool that would allow people to just go try it at home, right? Or at the office. They could scan something. They could process it. They could see how it comes back. And from there, it really spurs the conversation onward, right? Then they have something to show, something to see. Yeah. And it's a show and not a tell, right? Exactly. It really is. It really is. It's a, a, you know, visual, we're visual media. (laughs) You sure are. So we launched it in beta thinking, you know, this will be great. We'll get, you know, our business use case, you know, folks to do this. Um, The way that beta works for Android, you put it in and it's early access. And so it goes on the app store live, but it has an early access badge. So that means that anyone that goes to the Android store can get it. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So with that, um, we also launched it on iOS, but iOS is much more closed. So it's through test flight. So test flight is you have to sign up. We had people sign up on our website with their email address and we would manually add each person in to test flight. That's how test flight works on iOS. So ultimately um, with it being uh, available on the app store, um, you know, the early access badge basically is like, you know, user beware (laughs) Um, because it's all, it's it's a test bed. Right. And so ultimately we ended up with uh, over 50,000 views on the store which amounted to about 14,000 downloads. And then that uh, translated into uh, over over a six month period, about 10,000 users that were actively using the platform. Um, at one point we had our highest uh, daily active user was 2,200. We had 166 countries that were downloading the app. Uh, I mean, it was these were just amazing metrics that we really were not expecting. Yeah. We were not trying to go public like that with with the app um and ultimately uh you know with with the understanding of how much that was demanded in the marketplace we we did really try to figure out how we could incorporate this in as a product-led growth strategy and understand who our users are on the app and so we instituted a uh, a survey um at the end of last year and found out that about half of the folks that were on our app were creators um, and then about the other, um, you know, half was broken down in between art directors, executives, and uh, product or, or uh, project managers. And so with that, we we're like, okay, this is great because that means that we have some prof- a lot of professional users on here that are trying to solve a professional problem. And those are the folks that we really want to target right now. Uh, mm-hmm. And later, you know, we can really go back into the creator economy and, and, and seed that more effectively. You're pretty smart, Alex. (laughs) Why? Thank you. (laughs) No, I think uh, as with the crowdfunding, I think this idea, I don't think, and maybe you stumbled into it. Maybe I don't want to give you too much credit, but the idea that, you know, I'm sure a lot of apps get launched and just kind of fall flat. I'm sure most of them, but, um, you did iOS test flight, Android early access. You got 50,000 views uh, on the store total, if I got that right. 14,000 downloads leading to 10,000 users. On your biggest day, you had 2,200 users. I mean, that's a lot of users. And and um, yep. and so my, my question is, uh, I had one question about the split between iOS and Android. Was it was it about equal or was it one more one more than the other? 
Android was definitely more because it was publicly available. Um, so on iOS, I would say that all of the users on iOS were more interested in a professional use case. Um, we had roughly a thousand, um, iOS users, um, like active users. And these were people that we had relationships with or, or found us, you know, through trying to find a professional, you know, uh, scanning solution, um, et cetera. And so this, this was a much smaller little nugget on that side, but they were much more targeted to our original sort of use case. We have done, uh, I haven't done a great job here of really talking about the product, um, because some of these details are pretty interesting, but let's talk about the product. So, um, and let's talk in terms of applications and how, how it's being used and how you expect it to be used. Absolutely. So, you know, 3D is uh, kind of a nebulous term in general. <laughs> I would say, I would say even, you know, generally people don't necessarily know where 3D is being applied, right? But we all see it every single day in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the use cases um, that we really landed on as we, you know, move through our journey of startup land um, was in the e-commerce space. So brands are digitizing their products so that we as consumers can view them and really understand, you know, their use case, their function, et cetera. And that really got us to an opportunity to create uh, relationships with existing 3D visualizers. So these people kind of are behind brands, but they're typically like the viewport for, you know, a 3D shoe, a 3D couch, when you want to spin it around in 360, or you want to use augmented reality and see it in your space. Those, the folks that we're working with actually run the visualizer parts of that, and we're helping them make more efficient pipelines to create the 3D assets. So if my job is to create, pardon me for interrupting, but if my job is to create, uh, I work for uh, Nike, my job is to create 3D shoe images. This would be a great tool for that. Absolutely. Okay. And um, to what degree have has e-commerce imagery um, gone 3D and what, I mean, are we talking about 10%, 15 I, I, And I'm trying to get a sense of how big that could be because you have to believe that that most um, e-commerce would want 3D, that it would be more, it would drive more sales. So how, how big, you know, how, how is that, that market is clearly not tapped, but how much of it is untapped? No, it's a great question. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with this the other direction first, and then I'll come back to that. So what it means for a company when they create 3D visuals of their products is a 40% higher conversion a 66% higher engagement and 35% fewer returns. So these are massive, massive improvements on just traditional visualization of products, right? Just pictures, even scanning through pictures from different angles is not the same experience as seeing something in 360, seeing something in 3D. So let me just, before you, before we move by that 40%, uh, higher conversion, 60% higher engagement, and I missed the returns number, fewer returns. What percentage? 35. Okay. Yep. And, and where does that data come from and how definitive is it? Yeah, this data actually was sourced from a combination of um, online retailers. So Walmart, mm-hmm. Amazon, um, you name it. This was a study that was published. Um, I can 
I can get you that data. I don't know the I don't know the actual combiner of all the sources, but um, mm-hmm. but it was a really compelling, um, you know, yeah, opportunity. The big, the to, big to difference. Look. The big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so what you're seeing, you know, the virtual. I'm. We're looking at this at you know, e-commerce is a huge market, right? Uh, it's like a four trillion dollar market. Mm-hmm. Um, it's insanely huge. Um, the reality of you know how many brands and how much 3D has penetrated is still kind of nebulous right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're looking at is what we're calling virtual commerce. So it's a combination of augmented reality commerce. So being able to see that digital object in your space, right? Um, I, I always I always say uh, augmented reality is like a sticker on the real world. So you're looking at it on a screen and you're seeing your space and a digital object. Um, and so that is, it's really compelling for us as humans to be able to see something in 3D, right? We are 3D beings, our world is 3D. And being able to mm-hmm. experience products in that way um, is really changing the way that we shop. Uh, part of that study was also that 95% of consumers prefer interactive content to video content. So oh, now hold on a second. Yeah. Stop the presses. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am reminded of how many companies did the pivot to video. Um, I don't know that that really worked all that much. I'm sure there are cases where it did. But you're saying that in terms of e-commerce specifically, yes. that 3D works better than video. How much better? Uh, 95% of consumers prefer it. Is that because it's new? Potentially, but I also think it has to do with the fact that that's how we live our lives, right? When we want to purchase shoes, right? Typically people, and shoes is a great example because honestly, like if you're not aware of like this, like sneakerhead thing going on, there's, there are companies dedicated to selling and reselling shoes. There's lawsuits happening from, you know, virtual shoes being sold that, that, people don't own the rights to, et cetera. There's like crazy amounts of things happening in the shoe world. Um, but this is a perfect example because you want to know what that shoe looks like on your foot. You actually want to know. And so often in reality, you take a virtual version of the shoe, a digital piece of content, and you can project it onto your foot. And now you know what that shoe looks like on your foot without ever having to go to a store. Okay, I am a person with a lot of boring stories about my distant past, but this is a true story. So I was a basketball player as a kid, and just as uh, the New York Knicks started to wear Adidas instead of high cons, Converse All-Stars, so I said, I got to get this shoe. I got to get this shoe. I think I was 16. I looked all over New York. I finally found um, Adidas All-Stars in a warehouse in like the bottom of Manhattan, not in a store, in a warehouse. <laughs> and, and, um, and anyway, I was very happy that I, that I'd found it. And I always, I wore those throughout high school, but it's just amazing that now we have what, uh, the goat store, the greatest of all time store is, is pretty big. And, um, you know, who knew, who, who knew anyone would care about sneakers? I mean, I mean, I guess it's yes. sort of inevitable because as they get more, you know, as they become more expensive and more and, and better looking and more interesting and more technology. But wow, that's a you could you could you could um, dine out on shoes alone, I think, with your product. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. You yes, wouldn't want the, to. 
Right. Well, so one of the, th- one of the ways that I look at 3d content as well, because you know, there are, there are two sides of this coin. Mm-hmm. Um, we are on the photo realism side. So you take photos and videos and you turn it into a 3d digital asset. So there is also the artistic side where you actually have uh, an image for inspiration or images. And then an artist recreates that to the best of their ability um, you know, virtually, digitally. Um, and so I think the difference here is that, you know, 3D modeling is an artist's interpretation of a real thing. And photorealism is photos turned into 3D, right? So these are very sort of, they're similar. And sometimes they're very tricky to tell apart. Very tricky. Really? There are some, there are some really amazing, amazing modelers. What is in short supply is artists. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, the reality is that this entire sort of 3D industry is is throttled by the ability to create content at scale. Right now, it's a very, very, very human-centric process. Mm-hmm. Um, these workflows, so getting, getting you know, a, uh, an image or uh, creating a 3D image typically has about 25 separate steps. It takes six days of time and a 13-person art team mm-hmm. alone. Um, that is not scalable. That's for a single 3d object, not scalable. Um, so the way that we look at it is, you know, we want to take it from, you know, weeks of time to minutes of time. That's really where we're focused. And so our app, um, you know, itself, uh, processes, uh, the 3d in about 45 minutes, 20 to 45 minutes, depending on, depending on what it is. Um, or how, you know, heavy our systems are at the moment. Um, but really looking at how to, how to push this envelope much further and make it much simpler to scale 3d content. Um, it sounds very promising. Now you, I understand you price it on a per scan basis and, and on a subscription subscription basis. Is that right? Give us a sense of how much this costs. Absolutely. So we are, because we are a professional app. Um, a professional portal um, on the mobile side. Our pricing is uh, starts at fifty dollars, um, and that's for a hundred scans a month. I'm sorry, twenty five scans a month. It goes the other way. Fifty dollars for twenty five scans a month. Um, you go up to the next tier. Um, it is a hundred dollars for fifty scans, but you also have access to the web portal at that point. And so the web portal will allow you to not only visualize your mobile inner workings, but also you can use another camera and, and do the photos at a higher quality okay. and process it through. Um, and so, and then when you go up to the next, it is uh, $200 a month for hundred scans. And these are all capped as well with data sizes, because once you get out of a mobile phone environment, your images can get very, 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 very large. And mm-hmm. so at some point, you know, if you're taking hundreds or thousands of photos, <laughs> you could have, you know, many, many gigabytes of data. Um, and so we do, we do cap that as well. And then if you go above that and you're doing more than a hundred, you know, 3d assets a month, you're really looking at an enterprise plan at that point where we can, we can cater it to your needs. Um, you can have API access and we can make it a, a you know, a much more seamless process. And, um, you uh, so you're taking the data in is in and um, and basically you have to store it on your site on I assume on the cloud something like an Amazon Web Services is that right? We actually run a private cloud. 
um, because we want to be ultra competitive. Um, Amazon Web Services for the type of hardware access that we would need to run our processes, our software, um, we would be spending seven times what we spend right now. Wow. Um, which is completely unrealistic as, as an early stage startup, right? Um, the scale, of course, obviously is important. And what we found is that a lot of our customers have already, they already have embedded like, you know, their, their services and their software in cloud. And so we, we want to be agnostic. So you can run it on our systems. You can run it on your systems. There's, there's a wide variety of ways that we can plug in and mm-hmm. make it functional for your existing workflow and ecosystem. All right. Pretty, pretty cool. We're talking with uh, Alex Porter, the founder and CEO of ModTech Labs. Um, a very interesting tool, 3D conversion product, um, is launching on the app stores, um, I guess both of them, right? Android and iOS this week. And uh, I'm sure you can download the app for free. Then you have to pay the, the subscription charges we just talked about. Do I have that right? There is actually a free version, which I didn't mention. Okay. Um, what we what we do want to do again is is really make that access to 3D more attainable. And so we wow. do have a freemium version. Um, you get five free scans a month. So where um, where are you getting traction? How many customers are using it already? How many businesses? Uh, what's in the pipeline? Just sort of bring us up to date as of as of today. Yeah, absolutely. So we have about uh, 3,200 users on the app that are residual from in from beta, um, and then we're expecting obviously that to spike massively um, in the next <laughs> few few weeks as we are live officially um, and uh, and sharing that out on uh, Product Hunt and other mediums. Uh, so with that, you know, we also have enterprise customers. Um, we have several that we're working with now. Uh, we do have recurring revenue at this juncture. Um, but we are expecting, we, we've reached about 102,000 in early revenue, um, through all of our, you know, work, um, and experimentation in the last, uh, year or so. And ultimately, you know, what we're seeing is one of the things that we've accrued that it, that makes us very distinctly different than other folks in this space, right? Because there's, Mm -hmm. there's lots of competitors in 3d scanning. There's lots of pieces and parts and software solutions to, 3D processing, what we do is we combine all of that into one ecosystem and make the workflow really, really easy to make your own, right? You can customize it. Ultimately, you know, we have accrued over 166 terabytes of proprietary 3D data sets. So that has been a massive boon for us because we have trained our machine learning algorithms with an unprecedented amount of data. This is literally 800 times more data than you need to make a single good AI algorithm. So, um, I'm, so. I'm a little confused by that. So, so 166 terabytes of 3D data sets, which are then, I assume, used by, deployed by users uh, in a variety of ways. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're deploying them in that, you know, 360 views for, you know, e-commerce, they're deploying them as NFTs, um, they are creating, you know, revenue streams for virtual goods, they're using them for marketing materials. Uh, I mean, there's a wide variety of use cases for any kind of visual media. And how did, you really... de- how did you develop that, those data sets? We didn't develop the data sets. This is from users. Users developed Actually, and then made them available. And, and do the users profit from that somehow? No, we're just using it to train our algorithms. So the algorithms make our outputs better. 
Gotcha. Um, okay. So we don't actually, we don't, for instance, one model could be, and, and might be at some point that we offer the users the opportunity to put it on a, put their 3d assets on a marketplace. And at that point, they would get a piece of the pie. They We would get a piece of the pie because we would be hosting the marketplace. That's not our model at this juncture. Um, there are lots of other 3D marketplaces out there where you can go and buy sort of stock assets, if you will. Um, the way that we look at it is it helps us to improve the visuals that that we're outputting, right? So our platform, our, our process itself has 43 microservices that go across the entire 3D workflow. So this is everything from degrain, denoise, deblur in the beginning, taking the images and just cleaning them up. And then they, and then we create a 3D mesh and then we up, do the textures and then we optimize for what the output is. And so optimization means I want this gigantic, beautiful 3D thing to play back on my mobile phone. Well, it needs to be optimized down really small gonna lose a little visual quality but ultimately right when wherever you want to play it back it has to be ready for that platform or that device and we do that automatically on the platform um, based on your selections well it's fascinating i think the traction uh you know the innovation of using the crowdfunding the traction from the uh putting the apps out there early uh, maybe unfinished but but getting all kinds of users starting a company with 3200 users is fantastic uh, in the in the professional sphere. It might not be quite as fantastic in the consumer sphere, but in the professional sphere, that's really really impressive. Now, what is your what is your valuation now? I think you told me nine million pre money. Is that right? It is. Um, if if you decide to invest in the WeFunder, we do have early bird terms set up for the first two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in. Um, because we're still under that, you would get $8 million pre-money valuation right now. And who who are you? How many of there are you in uh, ModTech Labs? Yeah, right now we actually have three folks. So myself, mm-hmm. my CTO, who is responsible for all of the in-house tech building. Um, he's done all of our machine learning mm-hmm. uh, you know, algorithms. He's created our IT stack. Um, he is a jack of all trades. Um, and ultimately, you know, we are uh, excited to add to the team at some point on that side. Um, I would imagine. Future, hopefully. Um, and then we also have a, uh, a gentleman who's working with us uh, who's uh, at UT now um, in the uh, grad program there uh, for technology commercialization. And so he's working primarily mm-hmm. with me on the market research side, um, the market strategy, and the like. I see. So sort of on the marketing side. Well, it's very exciting. Um, I, I look forward to keeping a close eye on you. I think it's um, it's very smart. Like I said, you're smart, Alex. So so that's, uh, you know, generally that's a good thing, as long as you don't outsmart yourself, <laughs> which I don't think you've done. Um, but how long have you been at this? Yeah, so uh, we are two years into this company. Um, we formed Montech Labs at the beginning of 2020, the most auspicious year to start a company. <laughs> Um, and ultimately, you know, uh, we have survived and thrived and pivoted and learned a massive amount and gotten a really great opportunity to, to learn about how to productize software, right? Um, where we come from is myself and my CTO ran our studio for five years. Mm -hmm. So our studio was, uh, an XR studio. So we were making augmented and virtual reality tools for businesses, so we would we worked uh, did work with Intel, Microsoft, uh, KPMG, um, quantum rehabilitation, 
And we did a wide variety of things. Uh, but this is actually how we came to create the foundation for what Mod is today. Um, we realized through our own work and our own studio that we were having massive issues making content at scale. And we would have to, you know, either hire, you know, an art team, we'd have to outsource or we'd have to buy it from the store and then make it not look like stock assets. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, we're like real photorealism is much easier to do, <laughs> but there's no real solutions out there for it. And so that's when we started working on it in our own, you know, company. Um, Tim's, Tim's background, my CTO, is uh, 10 years in games and movies as a pipeline technical artist um, and a workflow specialist, an automation specialist, and an optimization specialist. And so with, you know, those things, that really is kind of the core of what Modtech Labs is doing. Sounds like he is well cast. Yes. And also the fact that you are... Um... You ran a studio means that you're probably always going to be sympathetic and empathetic and understand uh, creators, the creative side, which is, of course, what this is all about. It's really not about you have to have the technology, but at the end of the day, it's about you know what the creative output is going to be. Yes. Well, Alex, I want to thank you for being with us on the Accelerator uh, with Michael Conniff. That's me. And I want to wish you uh, the best of luck. And I hope you're going to keep us informed and in the loop. We will down, download your app uh, probably this weekend and uh, take Fantastic. a look. And, and uh, we hope to stay in touch with you for a long time. So um, best of luck. And it's really interesting. And um, I'm sure you're going to do well. So you take care. And thanks for being with us. Thank you. And uh, that is The Accelerator. I'm Michael Conniff. We will be back before you know it, as I like to say. And thanks for listening.